All right. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. And as I was getting ready, uh, we've been praying for this week for months now. And as I've been, as we've gotten closer, I've gotten more and more nervous. So I'm always like just ready to go on Sunday mornings at church. But then I was like, now I'm going to be speaking to, to pastors and people who you've been in ministry uh, longer than I've been alive. And I like, I was already planning on saying it, but just like Pastor Will said, I'm not coming at all as a, hey, this is how we're doing it, and this is how you need to do it, but we are really working through things, and we wanted to share with you really what we're learning, and I hope that it will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Uh, my wife and I, we moved into the city, uh, so inner city, um, just about 15 minutes away from here. Uh, we moved here two years ago. We just celebrated God's provision for us for the last two years, and a year and a half ago, so right after the world shut down, we started gathering in person. Uh, so basically downtown, and God has been bringing people to our church. One of the first ladies that came, she came on the last Sunday of July, and she was planning on being here, and then she had a last minute, uh, she had a last minute interruption. She came the last Sunday of July in 2020, and Adriana started discipling her, and Adriana has just been pouring into her for the last year. And then the last Sunday of July this year, uh, we got to lead her daughter, her teenage daughter, to Christ. So the last the last Sunday of July in 2020, she started coming. The last Sunday of July 2021, her daughter got baptized. And now Rosalind, who Adrian has been discipling for the last year, now Rosalind is discipling some ladies. And now her daughter Tyra, she's being discipled by someone that actually grew up in our youth group whenever I served as an assistant pastor. So we're seeing this play out in our church, and I just wanted to share with you how we're how we're thinking through that and how we're working through it. And we truly are seeing God transform lives, and it's something that we're thankful for. Um, I, of course, know that if we're going to be helped, then it has to be because of the Word of God and because of the Spirit of God. So let's go ahead and pray together, and then we'll open up the Bible and study God's Word together. Father, thank you for today, and thank you for what we have already heard. Thank you for the foundation that was laid, that uh, real ministry, uh, the ministry, is the ministry of making disciples. And Jesus, whenever you ascended to heaven, the last word that you gave, uh, gave to your disciples was to make disciples. And Lord, I ask that you'd help us today as we, as we study together, as we help each other, as we learn from each other. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be effective and faithful disciple makers. Lord, I ask that you'd be with me as I, as I lead this session. Uh, I ask that you'd fill me with your spirit and know that uh, the only way that this can be a help is if you intervene. Uh, so Lord, I pray that you guide our time together. I ask that you'd help us to, to take the foundation that we just heard and that you'd help us to put hands and feet to it. Lord, we will give you the glory for all that you say and do. We know that none of this is because of us. It's because it's because you're a gracious, you're a gracious father. Like we heard last night, the Great Commission isn't great because we're great. The Great Commission is great because you are. So Lord, I ask that you bless this time. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And we're going to begin reading together in verse number 7. The Bible says, But we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, 
but also our own souls, because you are dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that you'd walk worthy of God, who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved to fill up their sins alway. For the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in present, in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming. For ye are our glory and joy. In 2004, Matthew Emmons was considered the greatest Olympic rifle shooter of all time. And at the 2004 games, he was ready to take the gold. In a, in a sport where the results are often determined by millimeters, whenever it came to Matthew Emmons' final shot, he was so far ahead that whenever he lined up to shoot his final shot, he didn't even have to hit the bullseye to win gold. All he had to do was really hit the target. He came up and he did as he always did. He looked down his scope, he identified his target, and between heartbeats, that, that surprised me, that they shoot between heartbeats so they're more accurate. Between heartbeats, he shoots his shot and he hits the bullseye, a perfect bullseye. A few moments later, whenever it was time for the, for the medal ceremony, Matthew Emmons wasn't awarded with the gold medal, he wasn't awarded with the silver, and he wasn't awarded with the bronze. Matthew Emmons finished in eighth place. The reason why was not because he missed the bullseye, but it's because he shot at the wrong target. In our lives and in our ministry today, I feel like a lot of people are hitting bullseyes at wrong targets. Whenever it comes to pastoring, a lot of times we can uh, finish a day of church and finish a day of worship, and we can uh, feel like we hit the bullseye of, was it good today? You know, did we, have, did we just have the feels? Were, were we raising our hands? Were we excited at the end of church today? Uh, we can ask the questions, or we can feel sometimes like we hit bullseyes of, hey, did we, did we have a large attendance, relatively speaking, to wherever we minister. Right now, I get really excited whenever we're in the 40s, or if we hit 50, I'm like, I'm really excited. But relatively speaking, hey, did we have a great day as far as attendance is concerned? 
Hey, do we have uh, a good service? Do we hit the bullseye in regards to the, the, the worship and, and singing? Did, was it, did we put everything together well? Was it a good service? Did we hit the bullseye of, of the preaching? Did we, did we feel like we delivered? Did we feel like we communicated the truth well? As far as lay people are concerned, it's a, it's we, a lot of times we identify our bullseyes by saying, hey, did I come to church today or not? Hey, you know what? Sometimes, especially during the World Series, whenever we all stayed up on Saturday night and just watched the Astros break our hearts, uh, did, you know, just getting up and going to church on Sunday morning, I feel like I hit a bullseye. Hey, did we, did we give in the offering or not? Hey, I hit a bullseye. But a lot of times in our lives, whether, whether it's uh, how, we, how we lead as pastors or whether it's how we serve and are, and are living out our Christian life in churches as lay people, a lot of times we're living our lives feeling like, hey, I'm hitting bullseyes. But deep down, we wonder, I wonder, am I shooting at the wrong target? When Jesus gave the Great Commission... He was giving something that was doable. When Jesus said, go and win and baptize and teach, like we heard in the first session this morning, he wasn't giving something that we should be fuzzy about. We should know, we should, we should have hands and feet. We should know that, hey, I am actually living this out. But a lot of times we ask the question, am, am I really making disciples? We're, we're leading great church services. And by the way, that's, that's important. We should do our best to put together services that are honoring and glorifying to the Lord. We should, we should be faithful to study. Those things are biblical, but a lot of times at the end of the day, we're asking questions. Am I really making disciples? Really? As a pastor, I ask the question, is my church moving forward? Is it moving towards maturity and Christ-likeness? Are people growing? Are, are people getting victory over sin? Are people seeing God's word change and transform their lives? And I would argue today that it's not something that we have to be fuzzy about. It's something that we can, that we can know. No matter how slow and no matter how messy it is, we should be able to, as pastors, I know the burden of, of laying our head, we should be able to lay our head on our pillow at night and know I was faithful to do what Jesus called me to do. So today, my assignment is to share with you how we're trying to put hands and feet to this. So today, my goal is that at the end of this talk, that you would have clarity, if, if you don't already, that you would have clarity and confidence in your obedience, and that you would maybe take away from this, from this session a tool or two that would help you in your disciple-making efforts wherever God has you. Today, I'm going to walk through 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and what we're going to see is we're going to see how the Apostle Paul made disciples in the city of Thessalonica. Uh, I want to show you how Jesus made disciples in his ministry. And I want to show you how the Holy Spirit does his sanctifying work in our lives. And when we looked at all of these things, how Paul made disciples and how Jesus made disciples and how the Holy Spirit makes disciples out of us, what I found is that there are three uh, core foundational uh, truths. There's three core foundational truths principles or tools that we all need in our disciple-making efforts. So the first principle that we see in 1 Thessalonians 2 is we see that there are deep personal relationships. Deep personal relationships. By definition, we cannot make disciples. There's no discipleship. There's no disciple-making if there's not disciplers and disciples. 
there has to be deep personal relationships. And we see this in verses 7 through 12. It says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica, and in chapter 2, he's contrasting how the, how the pagan priests of their day tried to make disciples, if you, if you, if you could, uh, how they tried to reach people compared to how he and Silas and Timothy made disciples in the city of Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 2, he opens up by saying, hey, we weren't like those pagan priests who, who did everything out of self-conceit, out of selfish ambition. You see, the, the pagan priests in Thessalonica, they would say that, hey, if you're going to have a relationship with the gods, then you have to do a lot of special favors for me. The pagan priests would preach in their day that, hey, in order to have access to the gods, you have to perform uh, financial favors for me and sexual favors for me. And, that, and that, was the, that was the message in the culture in which they lived. And Paul is saying, hey, we didn't live that way. We didn't, we didn't serve you that way. Here is how we served. In verse number seven, he says, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. What an incredible picture that is, isn't it? This picture of disciple making. Uh, he says, we were gentle like a nursing mother. Now, I have, I have three children. And for me, whenever we first, and Billy, Billy, I was talking to Billy the other day, now that he has a new baby, and I asked Billy, how are you sleeping? And he was like, oh, man, every two hours, that baby wakes up, if I'm lucky. And, you know, if you've had kids, you, you know how that is, the baby waking up it, all throughout the night. And what I found, at least uh, in my family, in my home, is that there's, there's nothing more selfless. There's no more selfless love than a nursing mother who, in the middle of the night, gets up to take care of her screaming, crying, hungry baby at 2 o'clock in the morning. And what I found is, I don't know, maybe you're probably more spiritual than I am, but whenever my babies were waking up in the middle of the night screaming and crying, like I was ready to throw something through the wall. I was like, you're stealing my precious sleep. And the odd time that Adriana would be a little bit aggravated, it was like she'd bring the baby and then, and then it's like two minutes later, you can be so angry at a baby. And then as soon as they just close their eyes, it's like, oh my goodness, this is my beautiful child. I love you. I want 10 more of you. No, no. And the example that the Apostle Paul uses for the way that he made disciples, the way that he poured into the people of Thessalonica, is he says, we were like a nursing mother who just cherished you who just held you, who just, who just loved you. And if we're going to make disciples, we, we have to have that kind of mindset because let's just be real. New disciples are a lot like babies. They cry a lot. They make a lot of messes. Uh, there's a lot of cleanup work. Uh, one of the first times that I saw this, I was, uh, I love, I love Julius and Victoria. Victoria came for a couple of Sundays back last, it was probably last March. Victoria started coming to New Life, and uh, on Easter Sunday, she decided that she was going to bring her boyfriend, Julius. On Saturday night before Easter Sunday, Julius, uh, he, um, he was doing drugs, and he got drunk, and that was his Saturday night with no intention of going to church the next morning. Sunday morning, they had a knockdown, drag-out fight because Victoria was determined that she was going to bring Julius to church on Easter Sunday, and he said that he wasn't doing it. Finally, she stormed out of the house, and he chased her down, and he said, wait a minute, I'm coming. Uh, so he walks in, kind of hungover, uh, after a night of, of smoking crack, 
And on Sunday morning, he comes in and he just starts weeping as he hears the gospel preached. And at the end of the service, Julius puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as his savior. Over the next couple of months, we started, pulling, we started pouring into Julius and Victoria. In May, I got to perform my first wedding for Julius and Victoria. They wanted to honor Jesus Christ with their relationship. And so I got to marry them. It was, it was a beautiful moment. But what I found very quickly is that that beautiful high of him being saved, not Saturday night. Um, so, but that, that beautiful moment of him trusting Christ and seeing some of that growth quickly turned into moments of, like a baby, crying and making messes. Saturday nights, they're calling me, arguing with each other, cussing each other out over the phone, saying, Pastor, we need your help, and coming up to the church at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, just fighting with each other and helping them walk, walk through that. Uh, part of their, their problems is Julius is a 60-year-old man, and Julius, he was a truck driver, and because of his sinful choices, he lost his, he lost his CDL license. So part of discipling Julius was at all kinds of random times, getting phone calls from Julius. Hey, pastor, pastor, um, they're telling me that I need to get onto this computer uh, to take this drug test so I can get my job back. Can you help me? And just going to clean up the mess. But what I, what I found, and one of the things that has just been absolutely beautiful was sitting across from Julius and studying God's word with him. And Julius, a 60-year-old man, uh, in tears saying, Pastor, I've never, had, I've never had a dad in my life. And I know you're half my age, but you're, you're kind of like a dad to me. The beautiful moments are this Sunday whenever Julius, who got his CDL license and is driving with Victoria all over the country and that doing their best to get back every Sunday, is Julius giving me a huge hug and going to everybody in church and hugging them. Nobody is, nobody is more loving than Julius is. We were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. This was the way that the Apostle Paul made disciples. He cherished them. And if we are going to make disciples, we're not going to just make disciples by just giving them good content. We have to go deep with them. We have to do life with them. Um, Hebrews 10.24, this is God's plan for the church. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. This isn't just the calling of a pastor to people within the church. This is the calling for the church to do together, to provoke one another, to love and to good works. Paul, the way that he discipled Timothy, he said, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. That's the way that the apostle Paul discipled. But that's not just the way of the apostle Paul, that's the way of our savior. That's the way of our savior. Mark chapter three and verse number 14. This is one of my favorite Verses on the idea of making disciples. In Mark 3, 14, it says, And he ordained 12 that they should be with him. That they should be with him. I love, and we're going to talk about this. Uh, we're going to talk about this today. And I know that I'm going to be bringing this up at my roundtable, how Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And it's so easy to rush into the fishers of men that we forget that Jesus said, follow me. And whenever he called them, the motivation in Mark 3.14 3, is that they would be with the Savior. 
It's all built around relationships. Don't you remember Mary and Martha? Whenever Martha was busy serving and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha said, hey, Lord, don't you see that she's not doing anything? And Jesus said, leave her alone because she's chosen that good part. Growing up all my life in God's house, around God's word, I've heard this statement said over and over again, and it's that Christianity is not about a religion, it's about a relationship. It's about a relationship. So my question that I ask whenever we're thinking through making disciples is why do we have the tendency when we're discipling people to turn it back into a religion instead of relationship? It has to be built around deep personal relationships. In Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus was discipling, Jesus, uh, Jesus passed by from thence. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. This was the way of Jesus to call people to be with him, to call people to follow him. And in Matthew's case, in Matthew 9, whenever Jesus calls Matthew, what is Jesus doing? Immediately the next verse after Matthew starts following him, Jesus is having dinner with Matthew. It has to be built around deep personal relationships. We cannot disciple people. Please, uh, this is something that God has driven deep in our hearts, is that we cannot disciple people just by going through a 15-week book. That's That's not discipleship. Jesus discipled, Jesus made disciples over the course of three and a half years, not three and a half months. It was a way of life. I read a book by Randy Pope called The Intentional Church where he talks about, um, where he talks about making disciples. And he said that whenever he would disciple people, whenever he invited people to, to disciple them, he would meet with them three times per week. One time he would meet with them during the week for Bible study. Another time they would meet during the week for evangelism. And then another point in the week they would meet for, for just community, for just being together. Now, that's not always our pattern at New Life. I, uh, I meet with Sam, who's here. I disciple Sam. Sam and I meet uh, about twice a week. Um, that's not everyone that I disciple. We don't always meet twice a week. Most people I meet and I disciple them, we're actually meeting for formal, a formal discipleship meeting once a week. But I think that's a lot closer to the heart of Jesus. We should be meeting more and more. We should be gathering with the people we disciple more and more. We need to have those deep personal relationships. So at New Life, at New Life, how are we playing this out? How is this living out? And if I could give a couple of just practical, practical elements. Number one, we want to clearly partner people together. Clearly partner people together. All of us are making disciples. We, we are. We're discipling people to something. Um, and whether it's intentional or not, we are discipling. But the idea is we want to make sure that we're clearly discipling them to uh, follow Jesus. We want to clearly partner people together for the purpose of long-term, think lifelong discipling relationships. And again, at the most basic definition of discipleship, you can't have that without a discipler and a disciple. So we want to clearly partner people together. Right now at New Life, we have about 14, we have about 14 groups of people that are partnered together for discipleship. Uh, Now, the beautiful thing about that that we're seeing at New Life that I'm getting really excited, like we're just getting started, is that I think nine of those meetings are Adriana or I are 
Adriana, I don't know how I say, to say that grammatically correct. Uh, I'm leading or Adriana is leading. Did that sound okay? Uh, nine of those. Uh, but the other five are people that we have been pouring into and now they are starting to pour into others. So whenever Pastor Will was talking about the multiplication mindset, like we're very early in the game on this, but what we're just now starting to see is people that we have been discipling for a year, now they're starting to disciple others. So we wanna clearly partner people together. The second thing that we do is we meet regularly. We meet regularly. And I know that this is not, this is not new. This is not like groundbreaking information, but uh, we want to meet regularly. So of my six groups, I have, I have six I have six weekly groups uh, of people. So some is one-on-one, some is uh, I have a group that meets with me on Sunday morning. They come in, three guys, Sam and Ty and Trent. They come on Sunday mornings at 8.30, a couple of hours before church starts, uh, and that they meet with me and we walk through God's word together. But we meet regularly uh, with them. We have that scheduled. Uh, It is a part of my weekly rhythms. We're going to meet regularly. Uh, The third thing that we wanna do is we wanna stay connected throughout the week. We stay connected throughout the week. Now, this is something that, I, that we found has been really, really special. And God has used this to, to, for, for transformation, is that we're staying connected throughout the week. Now, this is uh, not groundbreaking, but whenever I meet with a group, we start a group text. Um, so I'm discipling right now, Sam and Ty and Trent. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.30. And then throughout the week, we're just texting. So every day we're texting uh, we're texting scripture that we're reading. We're texting, um, we're texting songs that, that God is giving to us that have been a blessing to us. We're texting, uh, we're texting um, in, an encouraging word. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, good morning. Uh, this is Trent's, Trent's language. Good morning, saints uh, and Pastor David, because I'm a Cowboys fan. That's, that's uh, Trent's greeting to me in the mornings. Uh, so, hey, good, good morning. And we just, and we go back and forth. Some t- most of the time, it is just being, they're, they're and single, so it's just being dumb and fun. But throughout the week, we're constantly staying connected. Most of the time, I just let them go, and they talk about all kinds of crazy things about uh, how Trent's or how Ty's ankle has sideburns. He's so hairy. Like it's dumb stuff like that. Talk about the the crying, making messes. But what we've seen is instead of just the once a week meeting. That's, that's kind of the program, the program mentality is, oh, I did discipleship because I met with them on Sunday morning. The staying connected with them throughout the week is where most of the time it's dumb stuff like that, but then occasionally it's the odd, hey, could you guys pray for me? I'm really struggling today with doubts. And then immediately got, they're getting those texts back from the, from the guys in their group. Uh, it's, hey, I know the sin that I'm struggling with right now and, and I, I really messed up today. And it's that, it's that throughout the week, staying really connected in people's lives. That's where we make disciples. And that's where we can't disciple everyone because you can't do that with everyone. So we stay connected. And then the final thing that I would say is we want to be transparent. Be transparent with those you disciple because as the leader, as the discipler, uh, transparency breeds trust and humility fosters growth. Whenever I'm transparent with, with my guys about what I'm going through, about, about my struggles, whenever I'm, whenever I'm telling my guys, hey, listen, guys, I had a late night last night, and then this morning I was trying to pray, and I just I fell asleep. 
then it helps the guys that I'm discipling because they say, hey, you know what? We're in this together. And then they start being transparent with, with the things that they struggle with. We want to make sure as disciplers that we're transparent with the people that we disciple. And having that humility, God honors humility. Didn't he say that God resisteth the proud and giveth, giveth grace to the humble as we are humble that, that, fosters, that fosters growth? So we want to go deep with personal relationships. The second foundational element of making disciples is the word of God. It's scripture. Follow me along in verse number 13. In verse number 13, it says, uh, verse number 13, it says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. As Paul is speaking and he's reminding them that, hey, we discipled you. We were pouring into you like, like a nursing mother. And he even continues to go on in that and say, hey, celebrate free they Uh, beautiful that we see the Apostle Paul celebrating, thanking God without ceasing of how the Word of God was effectually working in people's hearts. It was the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. This was the way of Jesus. I would point you to Luke, disciples on the road to Emmaus. What does Jesus do? Jesus walks along with these disciples when they were discouraged because the one who we thought was, was our Messiah, uh, they said he, he was crucified and he was buried. And then Jesus begins to walk with them from Moses and the prophets. He pointed them, he walked them through the scriptures, how all of it pointed to him. And whenever they realized it was Jesus and Jesus disappeared from them, they said, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened to us the word of God? It's the word of God that changes our lives. 
And of course, we know this and we understand this whenever it comes to our personal devotional life and whenever it comes to the preaching. Uh, I'm sure you had, whenever I heard the, uh, whenever I heard the reports of, of Pastor Andy Stanley uh, saying that as, as pastors and as Christians, we need to unhitch uh, the Old Testament from the, from the Bible. We need to stop saying in our churches, the Bible says, uh, like that in and of itself is the authority. I was shocked. I was blown away that a pastor would say, hey, we need to, we need to rely less on the word of God. Of course, he got a lot of backlash from that. And he said, of course, I believe in its inerrancy. Uh, I, just think that, I just think that we need to stop relying on it. I, I think we just need to stop. We just need to stop saying. We just need to stop saying the Bible says. We need to stop singing. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. You can't, you can't rely on the Bible like that. And I, I read an author who, said, who came back and said, and I love this. He said, those who claim inerrancy, the scripture's inerrancy, without relying on its sufficiency, it's like saying that your wife is perfect while having an affair. Yeah. Yet so often, whenever it comes to our discipleship, we, we, our minds are blown when we say that, when we hear that, some, that a pastor would say we should unhitch the Old Testament from the word, or we should unhitch a reliance on the word of God for our church services, but so often it's easy to unhitch the word of God from discipleship. It's easy to turn our discipleship meetings into just, just group hangouts. It's easy to turn our discipleship meetings into just going through someone else's curriculum. And I would say to you that curriculum is good and curriculum, curriculum is useful, and curriculum is helpful, but something that I've seen over my short ministry is that it's really easy to go through a book and depend on the answers from the book, and they say, hey, why do we believe that we're saved by faith? And, it, and we go to a book and say, well, the curriculum says. It's really easy to go through a curriculum, and whenever it comes to the verses that teach us the truth, to just use those as like a segue to the good stuff. But I would just remind us that the word of God is what changes lives. So let's use curriculum. Let's use helpful curriculum. Uh, the bookstore that, we're, that is out there, like go look through that and use curriculum that will help you, but depend on the word of God. Depend on the word. At New Life, we're really passionate about teaching people to study the word of God for themselves. So when we gather, when we gather for these kinds of settings, we typically, we love using, and in fact, Pastor Will was talking about, um, Pastor Will was talking about tweaks that we're making. Like I'm telling you right now, the tweak that we're making to our, to our curriculum is right now we use something that we call a HEAR journal. Uh, so basically when they study the word of God for themselves, we use the, the acronym HEAR, H-E-A-R. So they highlight a text, they have to highlight a text, they explain what it means in its context, they talk about the biblical application and then their response to God's word. I'm just, here's the tweak that we're making. It's not, that one's not my favorite. We're gonna be walking them through something that we really like doing is we like using the idea of observation and interpretation and application. So we're teaching people how to study God's word for themselves. We're, we're, get, we're going to give them tools. We have given them tools, and then it's going to be in the next edition of our curriculum, is to teach them, hey, whenever you read a text, when you study a text, go through observation. Answer the questions. Who are the characters involved? What is the surrounding context? Where are they serving? What's going on? Is this Old Testament or New Testament? Figure out the context and what is actually going on in what you're reading. 
and then we want to interpret it. So what not what does the Bible mean to me, but what does the Bible mean? And we're, we're teaching them how to properly interpret God's word. They're making the observation, they're interpreting it, and now that I'm, I've asked the questions, hey, what does this teach me about God? How does this point me to the Savior? Then we, ask, then we throw out those application questions of, okay, now that I've learned from the scripture about my God, how should my thinking and my living change? How should I respond to this truth? So we're, going, we're teaching them how to study the word of God for themselves. So as far as the foundation for our personal, and, and you use whatever curriculum, I don't care what, like, you, well, I do care, but like, use, use God-honoring curriculum, but drive them to the word of God. For our curriculum, we, we're walking through, we're teaching them how to study passages of scripture, like Ephesians, and we're going to walk, really, we're going to walk through from the beginning to the end, showing how all of it is one cohesive story that points to Christ. Uh, as we, uh, I was, as far as a testimony is concerned, I was, I, t- I asked you for permission to tell some stories about you. Uh, Sam's here, so I have to ask. I can tell you about Julius and Victoria. They're not here. I have to ask Sam. Uh, so, but I was just encouraged in our last meeting. So Sam meets me on Sunday mornings, and then I'm also discipling a couple of teenage boys on Thursday evenings. And Sam just, uh, Sam just kind of slipped into that one, and Sam's been helping me disciple these teenage boys. And we're, we're talking about what God was teaching us from his word, and we're sharing testimonies. And I was just, um, I almost cried on Thursday when Sam would say, man, we've been walking through Ephesians, and I've been reading it like every single week. And, and we ha- a portion of our, of our discipleship gatherings is memorization, is scripture memorization. And we've been memorizing together Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And Sam was saying, I've just been going over that over and over and over and over again. And now whenever I read the Bible in other places, what I've been reading in Ephesians and what I've been memorizing, it's like it's all connecting. And now whenever I go through my life, like just every everything in my life, I'm saying, oh, wow, like uh, that I, I've been. I'm muted. I've been walking in, in, in the, I've been walking after the lust of the flesh and the lust of the mind that Ephesians 2 talks about. And now I'm seeing it just all over the place. And it's the word of God that changes and transforms our lives. So how, whatever curriculum you use, uh, however you meet, make sure that we're pointing, let's make sure that we're pointing people to the word of God. So whenever it comes to our meetings, we want to make sure that we're studying the word. We want to make sure that we're reading the word and we want to make sure that we're memorizing the word. We want to make sure that we're memorizing the word. There's just something about meditating and memorizing, meditating on and memorizing the word of God, where it just soaks into our hearts and minds. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not that I might not sin against thee. Uh, and that's what we want to make sure that we're doing for the people that that we're helping with the people that we're discipling. So we want to make sure that we're we want to make sure that we're going deep with personal relationships. We want to make sure that we're dependent on the word of God. And then finally, we want to make sure that we're actually doing life. We're walking through the moments of life uh, with those we disciple. In verses 14 through 20, and for sake of time, uh, for sake of time, let's, let's go ahead and walk through that together. It says, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews." who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. In verse 17, it says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. 
For what is our hope or our joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming for ye are our glory and joy. At this point, the Apostle Paul is reading, and uh, most people think that Paul was Paul had been away from Thessalonica for about a year at this point. And as he's writing back to them in this section of the text, he's walking them through what they are going through in their lives. So he talked about, hey, we, we cherished you. Hey, we've nurtured you. We've been like a mother. We've been like a father. We, we've cel- we celebrate how the word of God is at work in your life. But then he starts talking about the persecution that they are going through in their own personal lives. And he's walking them through it, and he's helping them process their pain from a biblical worldview. That's what he's doing in verses 14 through 20. He's walking them through their pain and helping them process it biblically, helping them process it in a God-honoring way. And that's something that is a a huge part of disciple-making, is whenever people make a mess of life, helping them process it biblically. Do we believe, Romans 8, 28, that God takes all things? We know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, to them that he also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Does the Holy Spirit take all of life and use it in the life of the believer to make us more like Christ? And I would argue that he does. God took Joseph and all of the pain, took took the false accusation, took his time in prison, took him being sold into slavery, and he used all of it to bring Joseph into a position that he wanted him to be. In Genesis 38, God took Judah's sinful choices to employ his daughter-in-law as a prostitute. And God uses all of the circumstances in Genesis 38 to bring Judah back to the family and to establish the family line. Read Ruth 4 and see how God takes even Judah's sinful choices of of, uh, Genesis 38 and how God redeems that for his honor and glory. Uh, All throughout scripture, God is working through our mess for his honor and glory. And our job as disciples is to help our the people that we disciple walk through the mess of their life and point them to Christ through it. Sometimes it's, Pastor, I made a sinful decision in helping them process it biblically. Uh, sometimes it's people losing jobs. How do we process that biblically? Sometimes it's people getting jobs. How do we process that biblically? I'm always excited in my church. I'm in the inner city. Not a lot of people work. Uh, I'm always excited when people get jobs, but helping them process how, how, do we do, how do we honor God in our work? We want to walk with them through life. That is how the Spirit works in our lives. That's how parents disciple their children. Why do children become so much like their parents? Deuteronomy 6 tells us, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou shalt sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and that when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as the frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Our kids become like us because we are discipling them, because we're walking through life with them. And what we need to do is we need to take that mindset that we take with our children or should have with our children and and take that and start living that out in the church, doing life with the people that we disciple. I love where Jesus does this in Matthew chapter 16. 
In Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. He's being confronted by the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are really going after Jesus, saying, hey, give us, give us a sign. Give us a sign. And whenever they hop on the boat, uh, after being challenged by the Pharisees, Jesus tells his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And all of the disciples, they start, uh, they start throwing a fit. They start, they start going back and forth. They all start, uh, they all start freaking out because, uh, because they're saying, Jesus is saying, this is like, this is a passive aggressive comment of Jesus. Jesus is saying, don't, don't take the leaven of the Pharisees because we forgot to bring bread on the boat. We forgot to pack lunch. And what does Jesus say? Jesus points at, no, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And what is Jesus doing? Jesus is taking their, the little moments of their life to point them to biblical truth. And when we make disciples, we walk through the everyday moments of life to point, to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. In disciple making, we see this play out through personal confession, transparency, and accountability. Uh, we see this play out through accountability. So in our, in our disciple-making gatherings um, as a church, we have a section of our time together where we ask accountability questions. Uh, we ask, and they're, they're very personal, they're very intense accountability questions. We're asking questions like, have you given, any, given in to any sinful addictions this week? Uh, did you walk with, how did you walk with Jesus? And like actually tell us, what was your walk with Jesus like this week? Did you share the gospel with anyone this week? Uh, something that we do in our discipleship groups is all of us identify, all of us identify one person that we're praying and working to share the gospel with, with the idea that I'm going to share the gospel with someone, I'm going to lead them to Christ, and then I'm, they're going, then I'm going to start discipling them. And something that we ask every week when we gather is, how are you doing with your one? How are you, did you talk to your one this week? Did you reach out to your one this week? Did you pray for your one this week? Uh, that kind of accountability of just walking through the moments of life of, of, of just say, hey, did you look at anything this week that you shouldn't have been looking at this week? And that kind of personal accountability, it's walking through life. And whenever someone says, hey, I messed up this week, then we point them to the truth of the gospel and we speak the truth in love like we saw in Ephesians 4 this morning. So in our meetings, have, let's ha we want to have times for confession and accountability. We want to take time to process what those we're discipling are going through and help them process it with biblical understanding. And we want to share what God is teaching us in the everyday moments of life. If we as disciplers are not sharing what God is teaching us, then we can't expect the people we disciple to take seriously what God wants to teach them. Um, so... The big rocks of disciple-making, relationships, scripture, moments. Whatever your curriculum looks like, however that looks like in your personal application, these are foundational bedrocks of disciple-making. So to put it all together, I wanted to, sh to share with you how we are living this out. So I've, I've shared with you bits and pieces, but I just kind of want to walk you walk you through this with, the, with a little bit of time together before we have lunch. And I promise you, I am as hungry as anybody else. Uh, so together as a church, we put together our, our own curriculum uh, that we just call The Word. It is available in the bookstore if you want to take a look at it, if you want to take a look at it and if it can be a help to you at all. Uh, but the way that it plays out for us is this is the idea is that we would get through this book together over the course of a year. Um, now, I can tell you this, 
that that is there's 12 modules. The idea is that you go through each module in four weeks. I've been with Sam and Ty and Trent for a couple of months now, and we haven't gotten through module one yet. So it's not a program. It's a long time relationship. So we're not rushing through the book, but there's, about, there's 12 modules. Uh, we walk through Ephesians because Ephesians, Paul is explaining really the gospel for believers um, and how that, should, how that practically plays itself out through the, through the book of Ephesians. We walk through Galatians. We walk through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and then we go back to Genesis and we start walking through there. Now, there's some reasons for that that I don't have time to get through uh, on why we chose that order, but basically we want to show them how all of Scripture points to Jesus. That's our schedule. So you may notice that's a little bit different than, um, and I think it's, it's just a supplement for maybe something that's a little bit more systematic. So there's great curriculum going through things that are systematic um, as far as systematic theology goes. And, but we're walking through scripture together, our meetings. Um, so each week, whenever we gather together, um, our material looks a little bit like this. We gather together. Uh, we start off by connecting. We usually spend about 10 minutes connecting. Hey, how was your week? What, what was going on this week? Hey, how is this meeting? How is your mom who has cancer doing? Uh, we, we spend about 10 minutes just connecting with each other because that's a big part of disciple making. Then we spend about five minutes together uh, quoting, our, quoting our assigned Bible memory. So we're starting off with Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We're memorizing that together. We spend about five minutes uh, just going back and forth and everyone quotes it in every gathering. Then after that, we go through our accountability questions. Now, there's a list of accountability questions in the front of our book, but we have a, a big three that we ask every week. We ask, how are you doing in reaching out to your one this week? How did you do in walking with Jesus this week through Bible study and prayer? Is there an area that you need, to, that you need help in or a general need you need to share with the group this week? So those are accountability questions that we ask, and we have several more that we do ask. After that, we'll spend 25 minutes-ish um, doing our Bible study together. So everyone brings the here journal. Uh, so this is from their own personal walk with Christ throughout the week. They, they are assigned a portion of scripture or they take a portion of scripture, they study it, and then they bring it back and we talk through it um, in that meeting. And then I spend a portion of our meetings walking through whatever module we're working through. Um, whatever module we're working through, I'm explaining the scripture to them in a, in a more teaching kind of way. A tweak that we're also working on making is I'm going to be, I'm working on making videos to send throughout the week, walking through the books of the Bible that we're studying. So it's like a companion to their own personal Bible study. That's something that we're working on right now. We take the time for those here journals and then we close with prayer. So we take prayer requests and then we pray together. And something in, in our churches, or at least in my experience, is a lot of times as, as churches, we don't really pray together. We try to figure out how to do that in different ways. Um, in our discipleship gatherings, in our disciple-making gatherings, we spend time each week praying together. And that's honestly, that's one of the, that's one of the hard things, especially when there's time, time constraints, is battling for that time. And I'm not, I'm not the greatest at leading that part. We're figuring it all out. I'm not coming in any way as an expert. But what we found is that the Holy Spirit has his way of sanctifying us. He sanctifies us through his word. He sanctifies us through his church. He sanctifies us through the moments of life. Jesus, the way that he discipled, he discipled through the word. He's the living word. Uh, through teaching them the word, he discipled through the moments of life. He discipled through personal relationships. The apostle Paul, he discipled through the moments of life. He discipled through the word of God. 
he discipled through personal relationships. That's the way that throughout the word of God, that's the way that disciple making happens. And at the beginning, uh, I gave you the illustration of shooting, shoot, hitting bullseyes at wrong targets. But I believe that if we personally gather with people with the intention of discipling them, and we are faithful to give them the word of God, to walk with them through the moments of life, and to go deep in personal relationships, then we can lead with confidence, knowing that we are making disciples, and we are seeing people grow into maturity and Christ-likeness. Whenever I was sharing with our new group of disciple makers, we had them over to the house, and we had we had them over to the house, and I was sharing with them uh, our our curriculum and and our heart for making disciples and what we expected and those kinds of things. We were talking with with these new disciple makers, and one of the things that we were talking in our meeting, we said, you know, 20, 30 years from now we're going to look back and we're going to have a legacy of how we serve the Lord. And most people that, whenever you say, what is your legacy in a church? If you talk to people who are in their 60s and 70s, I have a grandmother who I actually asked this question. She was, she's, uh, she's in her 70s. She served in a church, served in junior church, served in different ministries for 40 years. And if you were to ask her, hey, like what, what did you do for 40 years? She'd say, well, I, I taught a Sunday school class. Uh, I, I did these different things, and uh, that's what I did in, did in my church. And we were talking with our disciple makers about the legacy that we want to leave by God's grace in 30 and 40 years. The legacy that we want to leave is that Rosalind in 30 years, she wouldn't be saying, every single Sunday for 30 years, I made coffee and I served people coffee for 30 years. The legacy in 30 years, the legacy isn't going to be for Jaden that, hey, you know what? I guarded the door and I, we're in the inner city. I, gar- I, guarded, I guarded the door and made sure that we had safe services. The legacy for Sarah isn't going to be that, hey, you know what? I, I taught kids classes for 40 years. In 40 years, by God's grace, for me, the legacy that I want to leave is not, I preached so many thousand sermons and so many sermon series. In 40 years, the legacy that we want to leave is we walk into church and we say, hey, you know what? I'm a disciple maker. And that lady over there, we led her to Christ and I started pouring into her. She grew in her faith and then she started discipling that lady over there. And then that lady, she started growing in her faith, and then she, she led to Christ and started discipling that lady over there. And whenever we gather to church, by God's grace, at New Life Baptist Church, when you come in 30 or 40 years, when you walk in and you say, hey, tell me about your church, people will say, not, I serve coffee. But it's, hey, I made disciples, and that person made disciples, and that person made disciples, and that person made disciples. And whenever we're able to answer the questions of, did what I did, how I live matter? Did I make a difference for the cause of eternity? If we're making disciples, then the answer is yes. I made a difference. I made disciples. And if we're faithful to go deep in personal relationships, built on the word of God, walking through the moments of life, I believe, not as an expert, as someone who's trying to figure it out, but by God's grace, we are seeing God change lives. Yes, we can make disciples 
and we can hit the right targets. Let's go ahead and pray. And then James, if you would, please close us out with announcements. Father, we're thankful that whenever you gave us the great commission to go, to win, to baptize, to teach, to make disciples, you didn't expect for it to be fuzzy for us. Thank you that someday by your grace that we will, we'll, we can expect, not because of us, but because of your grace, we can expect to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because we were simply faithful to be obedient to you. We were faithful to make disciples. And Lord, I ask and pray that in our lives and in our churches, that we would be churches full of people who are disciple makers. God, we know that this is, can only happen by your grace, but we thank you that you give us clarity on how to be effective. And Lord, I ask that for each person who's in the room today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that whenever we were completely undeserving, you loved us and gave yourself for us. And you change and transform our lives. And Lord, I ask and pray that you'd help us to be obedient, to do our part for others. In Jesus' name, amen.